0: And welcome to the African Defence Review podcast. I'm John Stupart and today we are chatting to Gabriella Reed, an associate at SRM Inform. We'll be talking about the recent violence and instability in rural Mozambique, and what the implications are for the country as a whole, as well as risk to life and property. Talking on the Mozambican um, string of attacks that seem to be happening now, um, uh, Gabby, can you just explain to us what on earth's going on in Mozambique?
1: Sure, so let's just start from October 2017. This is where really where we started to see attacks taking place and these attacks were attributed to a group known locally as Al-Shabaab. Now, when the attacks first emerged um, in October, there was a clear targeting of security personnel. Um, and the group responsible for this was actually identified as al suna which is primarily an Islamist group that um, emerged back in 2014. But it was October 2017 that we first saw violent action on the part of this group. Since then, what's been happening um, specifically in Mozambique's northern Cabo Delgado province is we've seen further attacks on security interests in the region, but also a shift in the targeting of these attacks to uh, communities and villages in the area. Um, the attacks have also started to increase in the nature of violence that's displayed in the attacks. Specifically, we've noted the use of beheadings um, and the targeting of key commun- communal leaders um, in these attacks. So for example, often the chief of the village is beheaded in front of the rest of the villages. Um, and these have intensified throughout the first half of 2018, and I would say over the last six weeks we've really seen an uptick in the frequency of attacks um, but then also the targeting of civilians.
0: So I actually had no idea that it was beheadings going on. I thought it was, you know th- when you read reports, you know, looking on the, the wires, for example, in AFP they talked about how it was sort of machete based attacks, which obviously beheadings is a you know could be a tactic used by machetes, but you didn't you know you don't you didn't think it's actually so so brutal. Um yeah, I mean sorry, just at the start there and this might segue into the, the question I think everybody wants to ask is, you, you mentioned that the group was called Al-Shabaab. Now, is there, I think, can we ask, is there any link to the original Al-Shabaab from Somalia? Um, and if not, or if so, either way, really, like how does that, what, what is the, the, the relationship there, if any? And I think, you know, that then begs the question, is this a jihadist presence or, or emergence in Mozambique or is it something else?
1: I think that the name Al-Shabaab has been quite misleading in identifying this group and identifying their intent in the region and um, it actually came about in terms of how communities were referring to this um, this armed group just as the youth. They primarily comprise young males um, who are you know, marginalized, in marginalized communities, do not necessarily have access to economic opportunities and were being referred to as the youths. Now, Al Shabaab, when you directly translate it, means the youth. And um, right. this is a similar sort of thing we saw in Somalia where, you know, the colloquial term for the for Al Shabaab movement was just again referred to as the youth. And this is where this name sort of tacked onto the group in northern Mozambique. Um, At this stage, there's there's hardly any evidence that they have direct ties to transnational militant groups such as Al-Shabaab based in Somalia, obviously. Um, But there there is indication that they have some links across the border into southern Tanzania. Um, But again, it's really looking at community-based militants versus transnational organized groups.
0: Okay, so so very much, you know, it, it doesn't seem to appear very much like it's a sort of... Al-Shabaab-sponsored kind of uh, insurgency, which I think, uh, certainly, I don't know, when, when I read the foreign <laughs> foreign press, that's that's the indication they give, otherwise they wouldn't yeah. report it, I think, to, to an extent. Another uh, indication of yeah. this
1: is back in January this year, the group actually released a video um, okay. and it depicts six militants, and they, um, within this video, they spoke about their intent, and it was at that stage very much directed towards the Mozambican government. They mm-hmm. didn't quite tack on to um, international rhetoric around jihadism. Mm-hmm. But also what was really interesting in that video is that they spoke a local Swahili dialect, Mawani. They didn't actually speak Arabic or... Um, Interesting. Or dialects that you would associate with Al shabaab so it very much at this state in that video was a mm-hmm. local issue.
0: So I think um, so. I, is before we talk about the risk, actually, then to people and property, I should ask if we can talk a little bit about the motives behind all of this. Um, you know, I should have asked this before. But <laughs> um, what, what, why, why are they now? Sort of, well, why is this now becoming an issue? Um, and I, I think that thing begs a question: Has it always been an issue, and just not been paid attention to in sort of the broader uh, spheres of, of, of the media? Um, and yeah, just what what are the motives behind all of this?
1: It's obviously a very complicated answer to that question, and it it, it stems from what's been happening in Northern northern Mozambique for several decades. When you look at the region, it is economically and politically marginalised. It's also, uh, Cabo Delgado is predominantly Muslim. I think the Muslim population represents about 53% of the provincial um, population. Um, But if you look at the Muslim population distributed in Mozambique, it's actually only 18% of the Mm. national population. So it's very much a concentration of a Muslim community that has also then suffered economic and political marginalization. Um, And this this has been going on for several decades. So what now has been the, the, the turning point that we're seeing move into a violent campaign. I think the emergence of Al Suna in 2014 was a useful avenue for people with more radical or extreme views to gather um, and talk about sort of what their strategy could be. Um, It sort of got like minds around the table. And then in the bigger context, we have a pending oil boom. Um, And Cabo Delgado Uh is an area where we are expecting significant offshore and onshore investment in the area. And I think it, you know, this feeds into the rhetoric of are we going to see equal um, and accessible economic development in the region. Mm-hmm. When you take a marginalised community, um, add in the high number of unemployed youths, mm-hmm. um, an avenue to explore more extremist sentiments through El Suna, and then um, p- possibly hesitance about how much Development, the oil boom will bring Mm. Northern northern Mozambique. I think all of these components added up, and that's Mm. why we've started to see the 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 violence that have taken place.
0: It almost sounds a bit like a Niger Delta kind of thing uh, popping up. Where yeah, you have like an incredibly marginalized community in a potentially uh, massively economically prosperous area, and there's already seems to be as uh, from what you've said, it seems to be looks like there's the, the warning signs of. Continued marginalisation in the face of even further economic inequality—that's um, certainly reason to be upset. Um, you know, uh, I suppose upset to the point where you will cut off a village chief's head. I guess in, in yes. this case. <laughs> so yeah, I think the,
1: the region has been vulnerable to extremism, and we're now seeing that starting to play out.
0: Yeah, um, right. So then, based off on this, should. Should we as as sort of you know sort of Joe public or or even sort of humanitarian workers um, interested or working in the area uh, what what is the risk um, to people both on the ground um, and also just if if there is you know any significant infrastructure or property there what is what is the actual risk of, of over all of these attacks uh, to 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 that yeah.
1: I think the risk is multifaceted. So it goes beyond just the terrorist risk in terms of well we see more sophisticated attacks carried out by this group, right through to what type of of levels of insecurity we can anticipate in Cabo Delgado. And I'll speak through those different risks. So I think first off, let's look at the terrorist risk. They are increasing the frequency of their attacks. The shift from security to civilian targets um, obviously is problematic because then we don't see just engagement between security forces and the militants. The, rhetoric, the militant groups rhetoric is also very broad brush. They just speak about um, enemies opposed to their objectives. So that mm. could be applied to various targets in the region. Um, And we're also seeing them increase their capabilities. So as we mentioned, the initial attacks, there was references to weapons like machetes and now we're seeing more targeted violence such as beheadings. But in the most recent attack on the 11th of June, there was actually evidence that an IED was used in the attack and the IED actually targeted a military vehicle that was responding to the initial attack on the village. The the IED itself com- comprise mortar components, um, and I think this s- demonstrates a sort of an increased level of sophistication in the type of weaponry, weaponry that they are um, able to use.
0: And also that they have access to sort of military-grade explosives, exactly. I mean, if there's components from a mortar shell. Um, so wow. this is obviously <laughs>
1: concerning and it does indicate that the terrorist risk has the potential to escalate, and therefore, based on intent and capability, we could see the targeting of commercial interests in the area or NGO interests in the area, uh, particularly if the group wants to bring international attention to their campaign. Mm. But beyond this, we've also seen the Mozambican government respond with a very strong security approach to this threat. Um, Now, in the short term, this might actually aggravate violence, in in two possible avenues. The one is increased police and military presence in the region, increases opportunity for attacks by these groups, by the militant groups. Um, So we could see in, in the short term at least a spike in attacks, again targeting security forces. But also the Mozambican government has adopted a blanket approach, very similar to what they would do when they were countering renama operations, Mm. where they would go into villages, um, conduct mass arrests to not only um, detain individuals suspected of being militants, but also individuals suspected of supporting militant operations. And we're seeing the same sort of blanket approach, mass arrests take place in in northern Mozambique. Mm. And this has, you know, run on consequences. One, it has the ability to aggravate recruitment channels where people are pushing back against the government response it could anger communities so what we could then see is protests take place in areas that are not necessarily within operating territory of the militant groups or perhaps larger cities such as Palma in Cabo uh, Delgado we will actually see the protests take place. And then finally, we're seeing international response to, to this concern. So we've had the US Embassy in Maputo now advise US citizens to leave Cabo Delgado. Um, and this mirrors a similar advisory that's in place by the UK Foreign Office, sorry, Foreign and Commonwealth Office, um, which also advises against all but essential travel to the region. Um, this We've further seen con- um, consequences for travellers in that the Mozambican government has started to revoke certain visas for mm. foreign nationals, tra- specifically those travelling to the north of the country, and this has impacted humanitarian workers as well as students who um, have been engaged in studying, uh, sorry, projects in the area.
0: Mm. And then um, a risk to Maputo. I know it's you know it would be very minimal at this point, but you know as we've seen from Boko Haram and the likes, you know there, there is often an opportunity to sort of reach out, as it were, mm-hmm. and and conduct something like that. Do you think the capital or, or any major Mozambican city away from Cabo Delgado is is at risk?
1: It's it's a hard one to assess in terms of capability. I think the intent would be there. If your you know if your campaign is centered on a lack of government action in the region in which you operate, obviously you would um, benefit from an attack that can strike the heart of the government. The issue is, well, do they have the capability to get there? I'd imagine an attack in Maputo is probably the least likely if they are going to prioritize. Um, larger cities or more strategic assets, Cabo Delgado still offers that. So we could see a shift to directly targeting the oil and gas industry there. That would have a particularly um, large impact on Mozambique, given that the country really needs the that oil and gas revenue to start coming in. If we look at the border political and economic status of Mozambique. Mm. Um, capability can also be impacted in the longer term by a potential and there's very little evidence of this at this stage but there is a potential that the group could get greater uh, support from Renamo the reason being mm-hmm. Renamo has previously reached out to muslim communities in Mozambique as a as a support base um, again t- um, off the back of a campaign of you know being outside of a Frelimo-dominated political environment, mm. being marginalised, they could tie um, pull on those sort of ties and that sort of
0: rhetoric. And Renamo's leader just Runa-mo's recently leader went just back into the hills, right? With uh, the, yes. Yeah. Um,
1: so, you know, there was a lot of optimism around the talks under the Klama before he unfortunately passed away, that we were going to see a new peace agreement between the Frelimo government and Renamo. We're not in that Environment anymore. So we have historical ties between Renamo and, a, and the Muslim communities. We have had past president of Renamo um, carrying out successful militant attacks, um, including targeting commercial interests. I mean, we saw them target railways t- leading to the port of Bera to um, target coal exports. And um, so we could see a potential um, partnership in the longer term. And this is all sort of in a in a pressure pot because we have elections in October next year, uh-huh. so the political tensions might serve to aggravate this this conflict.
0: i actually completely forgot about elections next year, but that's a good point because that, yeah, the, I like the pressure pot analogy. Actually, Gabby Reid, thank you very much.
1: Pleasure.